open your hearts, please. The book of Nahum is our scripture reading this evening and the first chapter of uh, the prophecy of Nahum. And we're going to read from the first uh, verse of the book of Nahum. Nahum chapter 1, and beginning our reading at the first verse of the chapter. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers, Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. With that, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. And while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counsellor. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now will I break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bands in sunder. The Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image, and I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feasts, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word uh, for his name's sake. Let's just unite again in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for the uh, blessing of being able to approach thee at the throne of grace in prayer. We do thank thee for God's mercies. Lord, we are seeing the indignation and the wrath of God as we've read thy word tonight. But Lord, we also have read that God is slow to anger. And we thank thee for the mercies that thou dost bestow. But Lord, we also want to see the whole picture tonight. And we pray that thou wouldst give us 
a fuller vision of our God. We can't get a full vision of God because we can't plumb the heights or uh, reach the heights of God. But nevertheless, our God, we uh, want to know more. And so, our Father, we pray that thou wouldst bless thy word to our hearts tonight, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. The book of Nahum has often been described as a sequel to the book of Jonah. They are both about the city of Nineveh. The book of Nahum is about 100 years after Jonah. You remember how the Jonah went in and preached to the Ninevites, and he said, repent. And you remember how the people did repent, and much to the consternation of the prophet of God, they turned away from their sin and repented of the evil that they were doing. The Assyrians were known as a very cruel people. They were known for their violence and the uh, way that they would uh, treat their uh, enemies uh, with uh, no mercy whatsoever. Ashurbanipal, the Assyrian king, once boasted in terms of the fact that those that had spoken derogatory things against the god Asher, their god, that he had uh, torn out their tongues and that he had abased them. And then he went on that he had smashed the people in the place where they had smashed the Nagarab, his grandfather. And then he said that he uh, cut up flesh, their flesh and fed it to the dogs and swine and jackals and birds and vultures, to the birds of the sky and to the fishes of the dead of the deep pools. And that's the kind of people the Assyrians were. And it seems as if they had returned to type after the repentance that had taken place in the days of Jonah. There had been a return to their old sins and to their own old ways. And in a hundred years there had been a complete degradation of the people. So much so that the book of Nahum is a very different book from the book of uh, Jonah. You know that when Jonah went in, there was repentance for the people. But if you look at the last uh, verse of the book of Nahum, you will see the message of this man. It says, There's no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the bruit of thee shall clap the, their the hands over thee. For upon whom hath not the wicked passed continually? So God says, that there is no healing of thy bruise. And they had with an overrunning flood made, he was going with an overrunning flood to make an utter end of the place. And they had sinned away, as it were, their day of grace. There was no mercy for them. It's like what the hymn writer says, there is a time we know not when, a place we know not where that marks the destiny of man for glory or despair. The, this, there is a line unseen by us that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And Nahum prophesies to a people who had gone over the line into the realm of God's wrath. Now, who was Nahum? Well, the name Nahum is a shortened version of the name Nehemiah. And it has a thought of consolation. It has the thought behind it of comfort and compassion. 
But the message that he is given here is not a message of comfort and compassion. It is a message of the wrath of God poured out upon the people. And as he speaks here, he wants to unfold. He wants to speak to the people about his God. He wants to let these Ninevites who are worshipping false gods, he wants them to know who his God is. And he begins at the very outset to speak about the attributes of God. And as you go down there in the portion of Scripture, you can see the different ways he speaks God is. God is jealous. God revengeth. And he goes on and he speaks about the things that are true of God. And dear friend, what I want us to see tonight is that we need to get the vision that uh, Nahum had in this portion of Scripture. The uh, words of the opening are the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum. This is a vision that has been given to this man. It's a vision of God. And we have a very perverted view of God in this day and generation, not only in the apostate churches, but sadly in many so-called evangelical churches, there is a wrong picture of God. And so it is useful for us tonight just to see who God is. And dear sinner, I want you to see who God is. I want you to see the one that you're fighting against, the one that you're resisting, the one that you are uh, refusing to have anything to do with. And it is good for you just to know who it is that you deal with. To go out into eternity and to face God and begin to recognize the one that you have to deal with and at that time find out when it is too late is going to be a tragedy indeed. So tonight this mightn't be a message that you love to hear, but it is a message that is completely vital for you to hear. I want us just to take a look very simply at Nahum's description of God. There is the wonder and the wrath of Almighty God. And as we look at God tonight, I want you to turn to this God and bow before him and crown him king of your life. So let's just think about the things that Nahum reveals about our God in the portion of Scripture. And the first thing that he says about God there in verse 2, he says that God is jealous. Look at what he says in verse 1, God or verse 2. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The word jealous there is a word that comes from a root that means ardor or zeal. Um, it means jealousy. And it is used only of the Lord, this particular form of the word. There's another form that is used elsewhere. But this particular form of the word is only used of God. And it is only used twice in the Bible. The other place is in Joshua 24 and verse 19. It says, And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. And I want you to see 
that God is jealous for his glory. In Exodus chapter 20, we think about the second commandment. In the Ten Commandments, we read, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. For thou, have, thou shalt not bow down to them nor serve them. For, uh, uh, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. But God says here, I am a jealous God. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And here is God, and he wants glory brought to his name. No glory is going to be brought to any other. No idol, no false god, no imagination of man's heart is going to take the place of God because God is jealous for his glory. God is jealous for himself. Now, when we think of jealousy, we often or invariably think about it in a negative term. We think about jealousy and envy being the same thing. But they are actually not the same thing. It's jealousy and zealous, being jealous and being zealous are actually the same thing as far as the Bible is concerned. It speaks about a zeal. And here it is a zeal for God's glory, a zeal for God himself. And we think of what it says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, where it speaks of God's name being jealous. This is the name that he's called for by. He says, for thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. And we think of the jealousy of God, not an envy. We, uh, envy really is when we try to covet the things of somebody else. But jealousy, as it is revealed in the Bible, is when we want to protect the things that are ours. And that's what God is doing. God is protecting his own glory his own majesty, his own honor. And my, he doesn't want any to break into that. He wants no other gods. He wants no other thing to be in the place of Almighty God. It's not just the idols that are made by man and fashioned, but it is the money or perhaps the, play, the station in life or the position or the power or whatever it is that we are hanging on to. Rather, than having the Lord. Dear friend, there's something in your life. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is uh, something that you've got involved in. And dear friend, that thing is the idol in your heart and in your life. Well, God is jealous of that idol. He will not bear with that idol. That idol has to be dealt with before you can come into the presence of Almighty God. But not only is God jealous for his glory, but God is jealous or zealous for his own people. God cares for his people. And that's why it says in the verse of Scripture that the Lord revengeth and is furious. What does he do? He takes vengeance on the adversaries of his people and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. So not only does God be jealous over his own glory, 
But God is jealous over his own people. And we think of the transgressions that are committed against God's people. You think of the Ninevites here and their cruelties and their violence against the people of God. And God's not going to take that for granted. You know, we think of the day in which we live and people say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe, we will all believe in the same God. No, that's not what the Bible says. God as a people who are his people. And God is jealous for those people. And you think of the Mormons, and they, have, they proclaim their little God's doctrine. And they, uh, want the charismatics who do the same, and they think that they're all little gods. No, they're not. God is far above all. And God is a jealous God. Dear friend, as he looks at you, is, are you his today? Or as God looks at you, have you offended his jealousy? Have you offended the mighty God of heaven? So we see that God is jealous. But then could I show you that God is righteous? Look at verse 2 again. It says, The Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. And here are the account of the judgments and the wrath of God. If you look at verse 6, it says, Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. And there you have a demonstration of the righteousness and the justice of God. The Lord revengeth, and it repeats it. It says, the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Holy Spirit of God wants you to pick that up. He wants you to see, he repeats it. And it says in Psalm 97, or, or Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And God comes in righteous judgment, and God comes in righteous wrath. God is angry about sin. He is wrathful against those that offend against him. And, you know, this is something, again, that people, quite frankly, do not grasp. And they don't grasp it very often because it's not preached. And it's not a pleasant thing to preach about the wrath of God and the indignation of God and the judgment of God. But I want you to see the righteous wrath of God is real. It is depicted for us in the Word of God. You can see it there before you in black and white. You think of what it says in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 10. But the Lord is a true God. He is the living God, an everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not abide his indignation. There's the picture of God. Or you think of what it says in Ezekiel 22 and verse 31. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith 
the Lord. And I want to tell you, dear friend, the righteous wrath of God is real. But also, the righteous wrath of God is reasonable. God is not a capricious God. God does not, in fury, act unreasonably or without restraint. When God acts, he acts deliberately. When God acts, it isn't a whim or a fancy or some selfish feeling that he has. No, God acts in complete righteousness. God acts in complete dignity. And you think of the indignation here. The Bible speaks about that day when we will stand before him and the books will be opened. And everything that we have done and said and thought will be opened before us. And there will be nothing that we can say because that wrath that is visited upon us is reasonable. Not only is it reasonable, but it's right. You think of a world in which people would get away with sin. You think of a world where violence that has been committed and murders and people have got away with it in their lifetime. Could we live in a world in which people get away with sin, the child murderers and the people who have done these evil things? You, you think of that man on the news in the week that uh, killed a little child or children and then killed himself. My, what is going to happen with that man? Is there no justice? Yes, there is. There is a day when people will stand before him. You think of uh, the Human Rights Watch that has stated that anti-Christian violence in India due to Hindu nationalism is on the rise. Christians in Turkey are being systematically suppressed and exploited. There are many of God's people who are being persecuted and put to death. Is there no justice for that? We have said that God is jealous of his people. Well, is God letting these people perish? Well, no, he's not. There's going to come a day when those people are going to stand before God. And there's going to be a day when the books will be settled and the justice is going to be done. And dear friend, it is for you as well because you have sinned against God and you've turned your back upon God and you think of all of the things that you've done in your life and one day you're going to pay for that. One day you're going to give an account for that. Oh, God is jealous. But God also is righteous and he will act in righteous judgment against those that sin against him. But then I want you to see something else. God is patient. We've talked about the wrath of God and you can see the way that it is described for it. Here the mountains quaking, the hills melting, the earth being burned in his presence, all of these mighty things that take place and we see the fierceness of the wrath of God but I also want you to see what it says in verse 3 that the Lord is slow to anger oh God is a God of wrath but he's slow to wrath he is slow though he is slow to anger in Exodus chapter 34 in verse 6 it says the Lord God merciful and gracious, the uh, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And this God 
he will pour out his wrath, but he is slow to wrath. And there is his mercy. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18, it says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no, no, no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. And in a number of the Psalms, the psalmist will use almost identical words where it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. You know, if, uh, I, uh, if God had have condemned me the first sin or the very moment I was born, that would have been just. That would have been right. If the first time I refused his offer of mercy, God would have condemned me, that would have been just, and God would have been right. But he's slow to anger. He's a God of mercy. Oh, how long-suffering God has been. The word long-suffering was made up for the uh, Bible. It's a word, it's a, really a Bible word. And it's made up because of the Hebrew word that is underneath it. And it is a word that in the Hebrew means, first of all, long or slow. And then the other meaning of the word is to do with the nostrils. And it's thought or being read a face. And really it is uh, the thought of being slow to have in your nostrils flare. You know the way... When you're angry, your nostrils flare. Well, God is slow uh, to anger. Long. He suffers long. How long does he suffer? Well, it depends upon the circumstances. You know, you think of how God was angry with his people. And we think of how uh, for uh, 120 years... He bore with, the, or he was angry with the people of the world, rather. And for 120 years, he bore with the people in Noah's day. 120 years. More than that, for 400 years, he bore with the Amorite Canaanites. And he said, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Then for 23 years, God spoke to his people through Jeremiah the prophet, but the Jews refused to listen. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to think about his sovereignty before he punishment, punished him. And every sinner is accountable for his sins. And every sinner is given a time. But the time will vary. Some are given a long time. Some are given a shorter time. That's all in the hands of God. Now, that's why it is very foolish to presume on the long-suffering of God. You might have a long time. You might have many opportunities. You might have many times when you sit under the sound of the Word of God and you hear the invitation of God to come to repentance. And there might be time after time, and you might sit week after week after week, and there are many people who have sat in gospel meetings for years and years and have never come and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God is born with them, maybe for 40, 50 years. There are others 
They maybe have heard the gospel once or twice. And then they're cut off. See, you don't know. God is long-suffering. But how long is his long-suffering with you? I don't know. I don't know. We can sit away the day of grace in our lives. There are many people who think that God is joking or that God is kidding around with us when he speaks about his wrath and about his judgment. But God's not kidding around. This is something that is absolutely serious. We think of how it speaks of him coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a joking matter. And God is uh, one who is, uh, is a God of patience. But then I want you to see that God is awesome. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, He rebuketh the sea, and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers, Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth, the mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. But look at what Nahum says then in verse 3. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. And God's in the storm. And God rebukes the sea. God is able to deal with these highland regions of Bashan and Carmel and Lebanon. And you have the terrible picture there of God in the storm. And with all the force of nature and with all the force of the elements and when you think about the might of God, he tears up the trees, the mighty trees and the boughs of the tree. And what a God of all it is that we worship. Oh, we try to minimize God. We try to devalue God. We restrict God to the four walls of the church. And we uh, think about God as some kind of old gentleman up in the sky. God is the God of power. He is the God of might. We do not just greet God and maybe feel some warm, fuzzy feeling. If we greet him and he is our God and our Lord, then we know him as our heavenly Father. And there is that sense. Dear friend, we think of those that fell down at his feet as dead. Think of the Apostle John fell at his feet. Or you think of young Isaiah and said, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Oh, that's something that our world doesn't see, the awesomeness, the wonder of God. He is not some kind of a teddy bear that we just treat as if he is somebody to be passed over. No, he is the omnipotent. He is the omnipresent. He is the infinite, eternal, immortal, sovereign God. Oh, what a wonderful God it is that we serve. And that's why, friend, it is so very foolish to rebel, to think that you can stand against God. He has no peers. He has no equals. Oh, dear friend, if you think you understand God, you flatter yourself. You can fight against this God. 
You can't uh, stand against this God. Our God is an awesome God. But something else that I want you to see just in closing, and that is that our God is good. Look at verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. He says, God is good. The goodness of our God. And of course he is good. The name God is actually a contraction of the word good. He is good in himself. He is good in his being. He's good in all that he does. You think of the creation and how when God created everything, he said that it was good and it was good and it was very good. And now we can see that the Lord is good. The goodness of God in sending his son to the cross. The goodness of God in giving us his only begotten son to go and die on that cross and shed his blood Oh, what love, what wondrous love, the love of God to me. Oh, God can be angry, but God is good. He is good in giving us this opportunity. He is good in giving you the chance of getting right with him. He is good in preparing a way by which you can be saved and your sins can all be forgiven. We have a good God. He is awesome. He is wrathful. He is jealous. He is all the things that we have talked about tonight. But God is good. He's merciful. He's a God of love. Not only do we see his goodness, but we see the guarding of our God. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. I wonder if you have a stronghold in the day of trouble. Maybe you're in trouble. Maybe trouble has come to your door. Have you a stronghold? Have you something to latch on to? Have you a foundation on which to stand in the day of trouble? Have you something that will bear you up, someone that will bear you up and bring you over and help you? We think of what it says in Deuteronomy 33 and 27, the eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He says in Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Oh, dear friend, don't you want the present help in trouble? Don't you want one that's going to be with you in your times of need? And when you go down through the valley of the shadow of death, he's going to be with you along that road. Dear friend, you can't go on in life without the Lord. You can't go on in the path that you're on without the Lord. You need one who is good and one who is a guard, one who will protect you and lift you in the midst of the situation. But not only is God good and God's a guard, but God is a guarantee. He knoweth them that trust in him. Oh, thank God, he guarantees to those that trust in him that he will never leave them or forsake them. He guarantees to those that trust in him that they are his possession. It says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Does the Lord know you tonight? Are you his? 
Are you part of his family? You think of that day when people stand before the judgment seat of Christ and what will God say to those that are going to depart from him? I never knew you. Does God know that you're there? Of course he does. Does God know all about you? Of course he does. Does God know your ins and outs and your thoughts and everything about you? Yes, he does. But he doesn't know you as part of, your fam- of his family. That's what it means. But it says here that the Lord knoweth them that are his. He brings them into the family. enfolds them in his love. And dear friend, this is the wonder of God's salvation. Oh, dear friend, do you know the Lord? Do you know him? Does he know you? Are you part of his family? Are you washed in the precious blood of the Lamb? If you're not, will you come to him tonight? Will you speak him with all of your heart? Will you call upon him for his mercy and his grace? God is good. He will receive those. It says there, he knoweth them that trust in him. And that's the key, faith. If you'll come by faith, if you will come and repent of your sins and take the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him, then he says, I will know you. You'll be part of my family. I will bring you in. Will you trust him tonight? Will you call upon him for salvation? Will you seek the Lord while he is to be found? Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for Thy precious word afresh to our hearts. And we thank Thee that we have a a God who is jealous, a God who is righteous, a God who is good, a God who uh, is uh, the, the guarantee of His people. And we thank Thee for the wonders of our God. And we pray tonight that men and women might know this God as their own and personal Savior. Bless thy word right upon our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Can we turn to the uh, hymn there, the hymn 212? We'll sing a few verses. There is no love like the love of Jesus, never to fade or fall, till into the fold of the peace of God he has gathered us all. We uh, will sing the first and the second verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing.
Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for that love that uh, pierces the very heart, and we pray that there might be that piercing tonight. Draw sinners to thyself. Part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to homes in safety. May the grace and mercy and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen.